Hey Trolls Rejoice, this is the new Pro Expeditions podcast and uh, I am here in the studio with Kish again on the phone line from Skaftafet, from the beautiful southeast coast of Iceland, there on the glaciers and uh, just roaming the wildlands. Hello Kish. Hi there Michael, how so, are you doing? I'm, I'm doing really good, uh, what about you? Uh, oh, not bad, enjoying the wintry landscapes we've had recently. Beautiful. I've been uh, too as well, uh, out in the countryside, just uh, everything's covered with snow. So it just looks so stunning. And uh, I want to say you are there. Uh, you are our glacier guy uh, for the podcast, at least for now. And uh, you have been already on the podcast before. So if somebody's listening to this episode, you guys can backtrack a little bit and take a look at the number three, I think. Yeah, number three. And there you have the whole life story of Kish. And, or at least I want to say a whole life story because we took only what? maybe 45 minutes or something to talk about it. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure your life story is actually much longer or my, much more comprehensive than that. But at least we touched upon some of the most interesting points of your life story, right? That's it. Yeah. Nice and bite-sized. <laughs> yeah. I'm still telling people about those uh, monitor lizards uh, out in the uh, Australian outback when you were surveying for gold. That just kind of made home oh, on, yeah, on your uh, backpack. Mangarots. <laughs> yeah. I certainly uh, wouldn't like to meet them in my worst <laughs> dreams. I think just to give you an update on uh, previous topics that we have talked uh, about with, with Kish is that we have talked about J.R.R. Tolkien a little bit. And so if somebody is really interested in that, and this is like always a good topic to talk about. And I have some new information that I'm going to share today with Kish as well, since like he was born in Birmingham and uh, J.R. Tolkien uh, spent like a lot of years of his life in Birmingham, actually went to school there, etc. So I'm going to uh, complement some of the information that we already have touched upon in a previous podcast. If you guys want to take a look at that, that would be great, you know, so we have like a proper basis for that, for, for whatever we're going to be talking about Tolkien today. And then we actually met today with Kirsch to talk about ice caves. Well, it's the ice cave season and I have kind of already said uh, last time, let's meet again and let's talk again. And this time let's explain everybody what are ice caves, how they're made, how, why are they the most stunning features of landscape on Icelandic glaciers, but definitely like top three or maybe even top two. So this is going to be a real, really good one today for you guys. So if you want to know a little bit more about ice caves and how to get to them, which ones to choose, how do they look like and uh, what's so great about them, this is the podcast that uh, you want to listen to. So yeah, um, what, what do you think about that, Kish? It's definitely a big highlight of the winter, probably one of the most popular tours that people want to do, especially on glacier trips. And we've got quite a variety of them now, so excited to talk about. Especially in the recent years, it has become kind of a bestseller, uh, hasn't it? As in the marketing for the oh, ice caves sure. have like really taken off and people really kind of started admiring them. Because I remember when yeah. I first went to Skaftafet, it uh, was eight years ago, there was like this... There's a gas station, by the way, in Skaftavet, just facing the hotel. And I used to work in that hotel. And in the gas station, just above the counter, there is like this massive poster of a person standing in uh, this beautiful ice cave. And it's very, very eye-catching. I've heard people asking people at the counter, you know, like, w -w -w where is that? We want to go there. And back then, it was only one person that used to do that. And that was Einar. In later years, it really kind of took off as a kind of like a... A bit of a highlight of the area, right? And uh, a lot of companies uh, went in to take people to the next, including us. Uh, we haven't been doing that initially, and, and uh, now we do. And I'm very happy for that. Yeah, so I remember uh, this first time, you know, when I went to the ice cave, actually. 
I don't remember which one it was, and I might kind of suspect that it doesn't exist anymore, in fact. It was only me <laughs> and one other guy on a car on a super jeep. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> this was completely empty, that's, just me yeah. and the other guy. It's much more popular. <laughs> yeah, much more. What's your first experience from the ice cave, Kish? Tell me about that. First experience of ice caves? Well, it actually would have been somewhere where we don't typically do ice cave tours, but all glaciers seem uh, can sometimes produce caves at some point or other. But it was on Solheim, and there were just small things, and it was you know it's quite a nice experience to be looking up at the ice above you and all this weight of ice, and you could see very clearly through all the bubbles of air trapped inside. That was on Solheim, but I first started guiding them in Skafterfeldsjukert, which is a very beautiful glacier near the visitor center in Skafterfeld. And that cave had all kinds of colors I've never seen before at night, uh, kind of greens and blues and even black ice at times. It's really cool. So you say ice caves have multiple colors? They sure can do, especially at this time of year when, we, you know, we have the low sun with the shorter days. We get a lot of golden light, uh, a lot of differing light throughout the day. Quite a beautiful time of the year. Uh, I've heard this expression golden hour. Can you explain this to me? What is the golden hour? Is this like the sunset or the sunrise actually? It's when the landscape kind of gets uh, flooded with a low angle light from the sun. Uh, so just everything appears to be golden. But the great thing about being where we are in kind of subpolar latitudes is the whole day is golden hour. Wow. You know, as soon as the sun's up until it's down, everything is flooded in golden light, which is a photographer's dream. That's the charm of, uh, of the Arctic in the winter, I suppose, since uh, we only enjoy uh, like what, four hours of daylight in total uh, throughout the day. Uh, now in December. Pretty much, yeah. And the sun doesn't really get up very high unless on... Uh, <laughs> yeah, unless it's cloudy, of course, yeah. The sun doesn't really get up very high above the horizon, so it, the whole landscape is throughout those four hours of daylight, if it's sunny, basked in gold. So you say the first one you went to was just a tunnel on Solheim, you could right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're quite common forming on that glacier. There are lots of little tunnels and pathways, but, you know... Uh, when you say ice cave to someone, you know, everyone pictures something slightly different. It could be cavernous big caves that you could almost, you know, park a bus in, tiny tunnels and more involved caving adventures. So it can cover quite a wide range of experiences. So the ones that we have um, available at our disposal to take people in them, and these are the ones in Skaftafet or rather on Fatjukut. And then also I know that we yeah, have... So- an- yeah, there's three bases we have for ice caves at the moment. Going from west to east, so from Reykjavik direction out towards east along the south coast, you've got Kutlujukit, which is known as Katla Ice Caves. That's based on V. That has uh, a quite famous and quite unique uh, black ice caves. So the ice is uh, full of volcanic ash from the volcano Katla, and uh, it's Definitely unique uh, to be able to easily access these kind of caves. And you go through a, a few different tunnels to explore around through these old water pathways. Then if you go slightly further east, you'll go to Skaftafone. The glacier there that we're operating cave tours on is Fatjukut. On Fatjukut, it's a combination tour. So you get you visit the cave for a short period, and then you also get a hike with the trip. You get to experience... Uh, the best of both worlds. Um, the cave is like a, uh, a, a, I don't know, 60 meter, say, long tunnel, which you kind of crouch in. And then there's two chambers, uh, which are full of very blue ice, which you can stand up inside, take did, some beautiful photos. Did you say uh, 60 meters? 
Yeah, it's about 60 meters. Wow, that's quite long. That's quite long, actually. Yeah, must be about 60 meters. Yeah, Yeah. 50, 60. Impressive. Other end of the spectrum to the black ice is the very clear ice of Bray, the murky Yukut, which is kind of on eastern Bakmuk, more east of uh, Skaftafell. That glacier there is very old ice, up to a thousand year old ice. Wow. In the cave, which is at the end of the glacier. You will see very clear, very blue, glassy ice over there. Um, not so aerated and less bubbles inside than the Fatjuk case, but uh, that tour is also very nice. Which ice cave is your favorite, Kish? I like the kind of smaller caves, which are a bit more adventurous to get around. Um, you get more face-to-face with the ice. Uh, so Fatjuk is, at the moment, I would say is my favorite. It's kind of my little baby. We had a plethora of other ice caves. I mean, there's uh, there's really uh, no end to them. I mean, there's just some of them, or at least probably, I suppose, uh, like a lot of them are in the areas that are um, quite inaccessible for uh, like a general tourist, right? These ones are all very easily accessible with our tours. You know, I often go exploring another glaciers uh, that are more remote. There are huge amount of caves out there which are constantly changing especially because we only go visit them say twice a year and get to see how they evolve and kind of learn their behaviors i remember that i once went to check out the sapphire ice cave which now what is it called i think they uh, they switch name every year somehow i remember before it was called sapphire that's uh, it's, it's, it was it's called the, the waterfall the cave yeah, it's kind of the same cave yeah it's just a, it's further back now but it's right. the same structure. It is the same structure, exactly. So it's been there like for many, many years. Some of them, like you said, they're constantly changing and then kind of disappearing, I suppose, right? Because they melt out. But this one has been there for a long exactly. time. So how does a ice cave appear? That The one you're talking about, particular sapphire ice cave, that's formed by relatively large meltwater channel that flows underneath the glacier at the contact between the ice and the bedrock below. So this water is trying to reach the lagoon and it's draining from higher elevations of the glacier. And all this water kind of collects through different channels and tunnels and moorlands and then joins together and comes out of this uh, corner of the glacier, which when it drains and gets a bit cooler and the water levels drop, is a lot easier to enter and witness what the water is carved out. So literally an ice cave is a tunnel carved by water inside a glacier and very often below it, uh, where the glacier touches on the bedrock, right? On the bottom. Is that correct? Exactly. Uh, that's the caves, the safe caves that we visit. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, could you kind of find out any other type of origin for an ice cave out there? Sure, yeah. Um, one, one type of ice caves that we would very unlikely ever guide in are geothermal ice caves, which is obviously uh, quite a common thing in Iceland, geothermal activity. Um, so you can get the heat from the ground, um, even mag- volcanic gases melting the ice and forming ice caves. But the gases are very uh, noxious and not so good for us. So we would never uh, run tours in those kinds of caves. Yeah, and I have uh, definitely seen a couple of other ones, I think, as well. I remember the one that uh, used to be in Solheimajukut, so on the south coast closer to Vik. We used to take tours there at some point uh, for a couple of months. That was a bit ah, unstable, yeah, the... but it was more of, a, of an undercut. There's a waterfall that feeds underneath it mm-hmm. uh, into like a shadow of a compression zone on the glacier. Yeah. So the glacier is kind of acting like an accordion, so compressing and then stretching out, and it's created a shadow in the stress of the ice. So the water from the waterfall on the side of the mountain, which is from snowmelt and groundwater, has come down and exposed this. So there is a cave there. It's just not very accessible. 
yeah, that's two other ways they can fall on as well. Other kind of memorable ice caves that I went to, of course, uh, like I mentioned, the one that we talked about already, the one on the, the eastern side of the glacier lagoon. Uh, we talked about the initially called waterfall cave, then called the sapphire, and now I think it's called, uh, what's it called again now? Blue, blue ice cave. It, I mean, I think it is still, all people locally, all the guides and stuff, they, they tend to call it sapphire still. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's the back of what the cave would have been last year. Of course. I agree with the name though. The name says it's old in fact. So as you mentioned, that it's like extremely old ice, uh, over 1000 years old. And it does have those very interesting colors. And you get sunshine coming through the roof of the cave and you actually get to experience how impossibly transparent the ice is there. It's almost like being inside a glass house, but like a very thick glass house. And the ice there, the glass, you know, is blue and green. And so it comes up as as a very good expression to call it sapphire. It it does look as if you were inside a massive gemstone. Actually, also uh, right now, um, as we're getting the very cold days and um, the very cold nights and they're starting to come with the sun when it's melting the roof of the cave ever so slightly in the winter, you might get some dripping during the day. And then this cold temperatures at night, they start to freeze it. And at the moment, you can see chandeliers of icicles on the roof of the cave, which... It's obviously quite stunning. Wow, that makes it into a proper magical fairy tale ballroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something you might see in Frozen or something. So you see the, the wonders of ice caves are, uh, are out there and uh, they're quite stunning. There's uh, something for everyone, something for the adventure seekers, uh, something for people who just want to get on the easy, comfortable bus. I think Safar is definitely dead, right? Just a... Uh, Get on a on a super jeep and they drive you almost uh, to the entrance of it, right? Almost, yeah. I mean, there's a just a short, easy trail walk um, to the to the front of the glacier. It's slightly longer than you know last year and the year before because that corner of the glacier is retreating very rapidly. So these caves are forming rapidly, but also starting to disappear rapidly. Um, yeah. So the walk, you know, increases uh, twenty, thirty, hundred meters every year but it's still very flat kind of trail gravel walk. What about uh, the ones in Skaftavit that you said you like the most at the moment? How easy is that? Uh, yeah. Who would you recommend it to? That one is still an easy tour, but it is more of a hike involved as well. And that's why it's sold as a, a cave slash hike tour, not just a cave tour. We walk approximately uh, one and a half to two kilometers to get to the glacier along a beautiful trail into Glacial Valley. And then once onto the glacier, we learn how to use uh, slightly more technical equipment than we would use in Kapla Ice Cave or the Sapphire Ice Cave. And that enables us to walk onto Fatyukuk, which is actually walking on the, on the glacier. And then we go to the cave, we visit the cave. And then we also have a crevasse track, which you're likely to visit, uh, which is walking in between the blue walls of ice as well. Oh my God, that's then, also so uh, amazing. The return walk. Yeah, so that one's slightly more adventurous, but it's still also, uh, if you're physically mobile, uh, able to walk at consistent, slow to moderate paces. That's a really fun tour, and that's why it's my favorite. And then the Katla is also quite uh, quite accessible, quite easy, right? They almost drive you to the entrance of the cave, correct? With the Katla, uh, you just meet in Leek at the suit company meeting location. And you get into these monster super jeeps, which are still amaze me every time I see them. You drive on a, 
about 45 minutes or so to the front of the glacier via huge black sand plains, which were formed by floods from the volcano Katla hundreds of years ago. And the ride alone is just extremely scenic towards that glacier, huge flat expanses. And then you just slip on some microspikes, go for a walk across a very flat uh, gravelly terrain next to a delta, river delta. Then you go and explore the tunnels in the area, which is basically formed of dead ice. So dead ice is part of the glacier that is not connected to the active glacier anymore, but it is still glacial ice and rivers have carved channels and tunnels into it and then drained away through the delta, leaving these caverns uh, for you to explore. So you say that the the outlet of Katla, the so-called Kutliyukut, this is dead ice actually? Where the current caves are, yes. Oh, really? So they, those caves are, in fact, cut off from the source of ice, in fact? It's, I had no idea about that. The current ones that are being used, yeah. they We started using them, I think, when was it, about two or three weeks ago? Yeah, and it's a series of old tunnels in dead ice. It's covered in moraine, so it looks rocky on the surface, but that actually protects the roof of the, the glacier, of the caves, which uh, allow them to last just a little bit longer. It's a very interesting phenomenon. So um, as basically when you get uh, closer to the glacier outlet, you find down there's uh, those hills called the moraines, right? And uh, what are they and what do they hide inside? Tell me. Exactly. And they're, they're so unsuspecting as you walk in towards it and then you suddenly descend into them. And it's quite hard to believe it's all ice, even though it just looks like a uh, rock. So it is actually so ice inside, inside the moraine. The yeah, there's quite a bit. Um, you know, talking... 10 meter, 10, 15 meter high chunks of ice, which imagine walking through the roofs can be five meters high. I suspect the, the sand, the black sand and the ashes from the volcanoes that cover them uh, also insulate them from melting. So how long uh, those pieces of ice remain inside the moraines? Do you have any idea? I suspect that currently where they are, these caves will be gone by next year. The ash and the, the sand on top of the caves... It, Roughly, if it's kind of thicker than five centimeters, it will actually uh, insulate the ice a lot, which is great. Uh, but often we get heavy rain uh, in the spring and the summers, late summers, and that can wash a lot of it off and the wind as well. And it can reduce it to less than five centimeters and generally becomes less insulating. So that's not so good for the cave. Well, there will always be new caves, though, in that area. I think it's, it's very cave-prone any of them appearing uh, oh. yeah finding safe routes of the super jeep is uh, usually the harder work than <laughs> trying to find the exact cave yeah the caves just you walk over there and look at that there's a tunnel there i myself uh, have to say i'm very proud of finding one cave once being the first person to get mm -hmm. into it it was just a tiny tunnel as in like but it did have an entrance and an exit don't remember if i gave it a name but uh, I should have probably, and uh, definitely some something something you know flamboyant, something like the best a uh, cave in the world or something like that. <laughs> ultimate ice cave. Yeah, it's just like a tiny ice cave. You know, everybody's. Have you seen the ultimate ice cave? I was like, no, we haven't seen it. Where is it? All the other guys, you know, from other companies, like, look at it. It's there. Go ahead. And they're like, oh, it's just a tiny tunnel, man. Yeah, I know, but that's what it's called, <laughs> the ultimate ice cave. Yeah. I think uh, for those of our listeners that maybe want to join an ice cave tour, I uh, would like to ask you, Kish, to maybe give us a little rundown of what do you do, like from A to Z, uh, when people 
uh, get to the meeting point. What do we do for them and how do we make sure everybody's safe and what's the equipment that they get? And then, um, yeah, that sure. would be amazing. Okay, so I'll talk about the, the stuff that Blue Ice Cave and Hype Tour, which is very popular. So you would uh, arrive at the meeting point uh, half an hour before your trip is due to depart, which will have all this information on your ticket. Um, and you can always contact info at troll.is if you're not sure about the meeting point or, uh, or the times you should be at certain locations. And then we'll just uh, check you in, uh, get you ready, make sure you're wearing the right clothing. Then we will make sure you're wearing the right footwear. We also have footwear uh, available for rental if you didn't bring your own. And then we will uh, fit you with crampons, which are these kind of slightly more technical kind of spikes for your feet than you would use in the Katla ice cave or the sapphire ice cave, where you use these micro spikes, which can just be slipped on pretty much any boot. But with the crampons we will provide, we'll show you how to wear them, how to use them safely on the glacier. Uh, we'll also give you an ice axe just to assist you with walking in uh, uneven terrain and a helmet, of course, with a headlamp because the cave can be dark. And then if you're doing the morning trip, for example, you would walk into the valley from the glacier car park, which is 10 minutes away from the meeting point. And then as you're walking into the valley, the beauty of the morning trip is you get to enjoy sunrise as the sun starts to poke, shine its light on the, uh, on the glacier, which is spectacular. Then we will we'll show you how to use all the equipment, explain all the safety instructions, and then we'll go visit the cave, spend about 15 minutes or so in the cave, taking photographs, just talking about how the ice has formed and other storytelling that your guide might want to treat you to. You would usually go for a short hike after this. And this hike is in the lower part of Fatiakut Glacier. So it's nothing too crazy. It's very slow paced. Again, you'll stop in places for photos. And you'll also uh, potentially visit one of our tracks in the glacier where you get to walk in between the crevasses. So you get to see these beautiful blue ice walls uh, either side of you. And then return back all the way to the Glacier Car Park. And that trip's about four hours long. And that's four hours from departing after we've geared you up uh, to returning back as well. Sounds like a pretty amazing trip that I personally would love to take if I wasn't right now uh, stuck in a city and uh, doing some yes, important things here. But yeah, I would I would love to actually. I uh, have to say uh, being in Skaftavet always charges me up. It's uh, just definitely in one of the top five most beautiful places in the world. And I can vouch for that. I've been in many places. Skaftavet is always on my, on my list to, to return. It, it's not necessarily the biggest mountains or the biggest glaciers, but there's something about Skaftavet. That is just incredible and very unique as well. I agree with you, what you just said about like, you don't have to go bigger, you know, or you have, you don't have to go better. I think it's actually about shapes. That's what I see when I look at the mountains, let's say, when I see a, a look at a very craggy cliff, very imposing, very spectacular with lots of details. And Skaftatl has that. Skaftatl has that in ample amounts, lots of cliffs, you know, and lots of beautiful shapes and summits cut out, carved by glaciers for uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. And so uh, what we arrive at is this imposing vista of the post-glacial and still glacial uh, landscape uh, with all the beautiful colors and, uh, and the shapes that the glaciers have given them and still do. Exactly. It's, it's all, for me, it's like uh, being in the ice age. 
in Scottish you can really imagine these glaciers being even bigger and how it would have been like. And then the combination with the desert and the mountains, well, not so much desert, but huge sand plains, which look like a black desert. With mountains, that's definitely not common around the world. And of course, the cherry at the top, Kvanada Schnukur, the tallest summit of Iceland, also there, sort of overlooking the area. And if anybody wants to know a little bit more about that and the details, I uh, would uh, advise you to listen to number four of our podcast, which was with Sigvatur, uh, who runs our trackings or expeditions to the tallest summit of Iceland, to Kvanada Schnukur. So this is another one of those stunning features of Skaftat area. And I think that... We have kind of concluded talking about the ice cave, I suppose. So, so I'm just going to jump in really quickly and uh, uh, I'm going to hear Kish react to what I have to say about J.R. Tolkien because I'm going to like literally continue <laughs> continue what I have said before in a previous episode and uh, uh, with Kish, with, uh, which was number three. So we have established back then, or at least that's something that I have established uh, through hearsay, I suppose that J.R. Tolkien uh, had an Icelandic nanny. And I have reflected on that and decided that my knowledge is not complete and that I should give it some more research, which I did. It turned out that he did have nanny, but it wasn't his nanny, but rather he employed a nanny for his two of his kids. And she was an Icelander and he did it specifically as in like he requested to have his kids having uh, an Icelandic uh, woman for a nanny. Because you see, uh, and I'm not sure if you if you knew that he was actually fluent in Icelandic. Tolkien was fluent in Icelandic. Yeah, turns out he was. Yeah, that's amazing. That is, that. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty incredible. That's I mean, he was he had a knack for languages. Right, he created languages like artificial elfin. Sure. And uh, it turns out that, of course, you know, he had some inspiration from uh, other languages, uh, much more archaic. So I'm not completely sure which other ones he, he did know, but that's for sure that he did speak fluent Icelandic. And so he employed the Icelandic woman as a nanny for his kids, also for himself to be able to practice Icelandic as a chit-chat with her in Icelandic. So we know now, this is the connection between Iceland and Tolkien. And we know, of course, that yeah. he has read all the sagas. In original, since he spoke Old Norse, all the legends, etc., and all the fairy tales. But now we can also get over to the contemporary times and talk a little bit about uh, the cinema, as in uh, Lord of the Rings movie. I somehow feel like it was a customer that told me. And uh, I was like, why, why New Zealand then? It should have been in Iceland. And you know what, what one of the customers told me? What was that? Because Peter Jackson is from New Zealand. And he was the director of the movie. So they hired him and he was like, I'll give you great spaces for shooting. I'll give you the sets. And this is going to be in my home country, which is New Zealand. And they said, like, yeah, sure, absolutely. That's why it was literally shot in New Zealand. Because even if you think about like Hobbiton, the tiny houses that hobbits live in, right? Grass yeah, covered, yeah, like, um, they're turf houses. I mean, that's how people used to live here for like hundreds of years in turf houses, tiny houses. Until recently. Yeah. Still in the beginning of the 20th century, I think the last turf house was vacated in the 50s. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Glaciers, obviously, Mount Doom volcanoes and, and maybe unforgiving landscapes of north of Fatna, you could, let's say, big black deserts with jutting spiky mountains and volcanoes it would be reflected in Mordor in Lord of the Rings, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah. Probably. So I've been like telling you, Kish, now you're like, okay, now I know so much more about J.R. Tolkien. And there we go. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I can pass this on. <laughs> but we had to we had to have this conversation because I'm I've been thinking about it. I've been really kind of interested into uh, digging deeper into it, and I did, and there, that's the results. So we, I had to share it with you. I hope this was constructive and uh, educational, and I hope that somehow uh, this will result in you also kind of showering your clients at some point on a glacier with stories about J.R. Tolkien. Will, will it? Maybe? What do you think? Oh, of course. It's yeah. pretty hard to uh, <laughs> ignore if someone brings up Tolkien now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's spread uh, I'll the le- Tolkien. I'll unleash all the facts. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anyways, I think uh, our time has basically uh, run up. So I think I'm going to say goodbye for now and say goodbye to you, Kish, and to you, uh, our dear listeners. And uh, we're going to talk later on the next episode of our amazing podcast. Uh, thank you very much for today, Kish. And thank you for telling us about uh, those beautiful stunning ice caves that you guys can absolutely book a tour to if you go to troll.is. T-R-O-L-L dot I-S. That's our website. And uh, it's very easy. Just uh, there's actually a special tab for ice cave tours. And there you have it. And so you can also pick the one in Skaftafet, which is Blue Ice Cave and Glacier Hike. Am I correct? That's the title of it? Yeah, that's correct. And then you uh, will have an opportunity to possibly uh, join Kish on his excursion. And uh, he's going to tell you again after hearing this on the podcast about J.R.R. Tolkien and, uh, and how ice caves are formed. Yeah, but you will obviously get to spend some more time in his amazing presence. Thank you very much, Kish. Thanks for having me on again, Michael, and uh, look forward to next time. Absolutely. I'll hear from you later and uh, have fun in Skaftavet. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.